Hello and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Next Level Podcast. I'm Tim Miller here with my best friend, Sarah Longwell, and her aspiring best lesbian friend, our guest today, Jane Lynch. Uh, if you don't know Jane... Oh my God, so great! So good. If you don't know Jane, she was Sue Sylvester and Glee, obviously. Uh, she's in the show Only Murders in the Building and Party Down on Right Now. She's had an amazing career. She's also like this big never-Trump political stan and used to tweet a lot about it. She might be getting off Twitter a little bit. Sarah, what'd you think? How was the interview? Well, it was uh, amazing for me. I had to trade JVL two other episodes in order to get the Jane Lynch episode, which I desperately wanted, because as we discussed in the show, she was also on The L Word, which was very formative for me. I love Jane Lynch so much. And you tried to, like, hoard her as your friend when she got into her Never Trump phase, and she was talking to you. But then she started to DM me, and I found out that she listens to The Secret. She listens to The Next Level. She's a, she listens to Charlie every day. And so it was just just what a thrill. It was a thrill, but I did have the most mortifying moment of my life, which you guys have to stay for, which was we discovered for, for years I'd had bad dreams, not years, but months I had bad dreams and fretted about a typo in the book. And I really, I only had one typo that I'd learned about. And I learned about another typo live with Jane Lynch, which was, you know, in her blurb. Oh, wait, she said there was a typo in her blurb? There was a typo in her blurb. I was reading her blurb to her and she was like, oh yeah, that was a typo. Uh, like how what she had said, I didn't do her justice. She blurred my book, and then I didn't. Then we didn't do it right. Anyway, we're fixing it for the paperback. Listen to the whole interview; it's going to be great. Two other things, really quick. I feel like we've had we've had two actors now. We have some other interesting people coming from other realms of life here in the next few weeks. You're going to love it on the Sunday show. But if you've been loving the Hollywood episodes, Sunny Bunch, you know, has a culture vertical here across the movie. I was a great podcast. Bulwark goes to Hollywood, a newsletter and a podcast. Check that out uh, if you haven't already. Um, but as is our tradition here, we want to do a little bit of politics on the top before we get to the interview. I will tell you, Jane wanted to talk a lot about politics. So we'll keep this tight because there's plenty of politics in this interview. Jane wanted to quiz us at the end, so plenty of politics. But Sarah, I, I wanted to get your take on two things. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're maybe a little less radical than I was in your loathing and hatred of the Don't Say Gay bill. You hated it, but you were maybe a little bit more nuanced. Let's okay. say nuanced in your loathing sure. than I was, I think. And what we've seen now, I don't know if you've seen this, that, that now we are going up to K to 12. Florida's expanding this yes. to K to 12. Meanwhile, also in Florida, in Charlie Sykes' amazing newsletter, this Friday morning, morning shots, go read it. There's a principal in Florida who was fired this week for showing sixth graders Michelangelo's The David this is a Simpsons episode come to life. The little penis, the little stone <laughs> penis fired over it. Uh, and so I just, I want kind of an updated, I want to put a quarter in the machine and get an updated Sarah take about concerns about the DeSantis education regime with, with as, as we get more and more facts coming to the table. Well, let me just say as a background, uh, I think my more nuanced take, which I think all my takes are more nuanced than yours, but we'll just That's leave that aside for a second. Uh, <laughs> but I think my, my thing was that with the don't say gay bill, you could sort of drive a truck through the word instruction, right? Like the way that they talk about it sounds normal to anybody who says like, yes, I do not think we should be instructing, you know, kindergartners on non-binary, gay, whatever. Okay. The question is, is like, is anything a teacher says instruction? And we were not going to find that out until we were ensconced in litigation and there's more definition around what instruction means. And before we've really gotten that definition now, though, we're expanding it because, you know, Ron DeSantis is now in a Republican primary where Nikki Haley is accusing him of not going far enough. She would go to fifth grade uh, with her don't say gay uh, version. And then Ron DeSantis is like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to take it up until senior year, which, by the way, at this point, 
people are in relationships and like this is like a this is bananas but the thing about the <laughs> the thing about the david thing that is just wild is this is a school that the parents had sent their kids to explicitly because it was a some kind of specific kind of education like a classical artsy education yeah like a classical it was like hillsdale it's a hillsdale classical education so i think that i think that the wokeism might be jumping the shark i would say it's jumping the david and uh, this is this is where it all goes too far. And maybe there might actually be some backlash here because this is this is asinine. Yeah, it's deeply concerning. We have we have a lot more ahead on gay stuff on politics with Jane Lynch. You're going to really enjoy it. We'll be back on Wednesday with JVL for our weekly next level, and uh, catch you then. Jane, thank you so much for doing this. You have no idea how excited we are. I'm so excited I wore the same exact sweater that you did. (laughs) I know, we're a study in cream. And then Sarah, of course, had to throw in some pink and some blue to throw the whole palette off, but that's okay. That's what I'm here for. disappointing. Yeah. Um, So usually, you know, I'm new to this interviewing game, but my understanding is usually you're supposed to, like, butter up the guest with the first interview, kind of warm them up. No, I'm going to butter up the host instead. Um, Just kind of a little change of pace. One thing I've noticed, you seem to have, like, this affection for never-Trumpers. I know. You're reading The Bulwark. You're tweeting The Lincoln Project. You're talking to Willie Geist about how much you love Tom Nichols uh, in a way that I was a little bit jealous of, actually. It hurt my feelings a little bit. Because I didn't mention you. What is your never Trump? Is are you a moderate Dem, or do you just love our conversion story, or is it my handsomeness? Like, what is it? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, it's all of those things, really. When the, probably up at the top is your handsomeness, but I would say that it's you guys are making sense, and there's so much in this world that doesn't make sense. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Jamie Raskin, and I love um, Schiff. Shifty shift? Yeah, shifty shift with the pencil neck. Mm. I love him. I love a lot of Democrats, but the Democratic Party just is is, in, is ineffective. And and I think when all is told, when the story is written, they're going to be seen as the great enablers who just, like Bannon said, just flood the zone. And he's absolutely right. You flood the zone and everybody just falls apart. It's not about willingness. It's It's the ability to mount a defense, because this has been an attack. As you know, I mean, you left the Republican Party to mount your own attack. And I do love a redemption story. But I will say this, though. I've, I, you know, I was in a tribe. And this is something that I've come to learn about myself and about humanity um, on Twitter. We love being in a tribe. And sometimes we get so inoculated into the what's opposite of the tribe that sometimes we don't even believe what the whole tribe thinks. Like this whole thing about, you know, vaccination and masking, you know, and I'm all for them, but people going crazy about that stuff. And then on the other side, people going, I mean, so many people died because they were in a tribe. It's a a cultishness that we're all prone to as humans, I think. Not us. We just formed like a tiny little tribe with ourselves, like the never Trumpers. Yeah. And, but you're saying that you think we were effectual in a way that the Democrats aren't. Is that is that the great thing I'm taking from what you said? Yes, that's a wonderful thing you're taking, and it's absolutely okay. true. And I wish that you know I had you know how you have those kind of Sorkin-esque fantasies. I thought, what if like the bulwark in them. Lincoln Project, you know, meet. I bet they're meeting with the DNC and together. They're coming up with this plan and that Rick Wilson's going to write the ads. And and that didn't happen. I, I really thought that that perhaps would happen. 
and and it didn't. Like they're not asking you for advice, are they? The DNC. I'm not getting a lot of calls. <laughs> no. Are you getting Sarah? You got a couple more calls than me, I think. Do you get some calls? Uh, I I mean I think some people they listen. They listen. Uh, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that we we are out of tribe and and we will sort of always be. I think they're interested in what we're saying and uh, occasionally might gut check a thing or two, but generally speaking, uh, they do not see us as Yeah, and can I just give an example of that? I don't know about you, Sarah, but I I invited myself to the White House one time since Joe Biden has won, which I was really grateful of. But I've been invited. We haven't had any secret meetings. I'm not begging to be invited. Your Sorkinian fantasy is the nightmare of a lot of our old Republican folks who think that, like, we did this because, you know, we want to be invited to the, the state dinners and the Georgetown cocktail. And oh, well. I, I wouldn't mind going to a state dinner, but I, I don't, my phone, I don't know. If, if anybody at the White House is listening to this, and I'm sure a couple of you are, I, I wouldn't mind getting invited to one sometime. But I've yet to be, <laughs> we don't have strategies sessions. Yeah. You know, we're just out here just like doing doing our deal. And the thing is, is what's great about y'all is that, you know, Joe Biden was elected because of you guys and kind of that offensive that the never Trumpers mounted that, you know, I think that was a lot that pushed people over the edge and got, it also got people. You mean, you mean Republican voters against Trump? Yes. Just like the cup you're sipping. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have those, any of those people in your life? Do you have like, and you're from Chicago, so it's kind of a blue area. Mm -hmm. Do you have like Republican types in your life? Other folks who've made our journey? Not that I know of. I have sus uh, suspicions about a couple of people in my family, but they probably wouldn't say anything. I don't know anybody, you know, talk about tribal. I, know, I don't know anybody who voted for Trump or is even— You're in your Montecito bubble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I was in L.A. before this. You know, more Jill Stein voters than— than, <laughs> than, than Well, you know, this is a—Montecito is, is a Republican area. It's a lot of—it's it's old money. It's yeah. um, old people with old money. People come here to retire. That's one of the reasons my wife and I came here is because we wanted to feel young again. Oh, nice. <laughs> we definitely—we we walked down the street and we're, we're definitely the youngest. But boy, these people are fit and they're wealthy and they used to be Republicans. But there were, a, you know, a lot of signs at houses, um, you know, anything but Trump, you know, vote for Biden. Just let, let, let's vote for a grown up. This one person had in front of their house. Let's vote for the grown up. I have a couple of political questions for you before we get to the fun stuff. But I do just want to compliment myself one more time. Um, I will say that you, you wrote that my book was the your balm of Gilead. And I have to tell you, Gillian. Gilead. Bomb of Gilead. I, I, I didn't Tim. even know what that Bomb. was. It's Bomb of Gilead. I didn't even know what that was. I was so excited. I was like, I'm putting this on the book. It seems smart. But I was like, I don't, is this biblical? Where did you come up with that? It's bomb in Gilead. The preposition was incorrect on the book. Okay. You're my bomb in Gilead. B-A-L-M is like your salve, your that which calms you and soothes you. And Gilead was- Like lip balm. Yeah, like lip balm when you have chapped lips. What is that a yeah. reference to? Is that, is that a- Well, Gilead is a town uh, in the Bible. It's referenced in the Bible and it's where Gomorrah, it's kind of like, what's the, what's the other one? Something in Gomorrah? Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Gomorrah. Sodom. Yeah, a lot Tim of, knows that one. Tim I know a lot one. about Sodom. There you go. Good. Well, it's like it's like the next town over Gilead is. So it's kind of like Got a dark it. place, like a hellish place. Okay. And you're my bomb in Gilead. So it's not like a lesbian thing or like a musical thing. I'm no, missing. no, no. It's in fact, like there's a, a biblical. There's a play called Bomb in Gilead that the Great Steppenwolf oh, Theater Company uh, did a production of. Um, Lanford Wilson, I believe, is the. Uh, Playwright and it went to New York and it was a big hit and Laurie Metcalf was the star and it was wonderful. So it's the name oh, of a love play. Love Laurie Metcalf. Yeah, she's wonderful. It, the the play is called Bomb and Gilead. Okay, well I'm just I'm honored to be your bomb. So we're here. It's twelve twelve on Tuesday. 
we're taping this. It's going to air on Sunday. We're just praying that between now and Sunday, we might get the mugshot of our dreams. Or at least I'm praying. I don't know where Sarah is. I would love to take your lady's take. What is your, what's your level of anticipation? Are you nervous about it? Are you excited? Do you have, do you have champagne on ice? Where where do you stand right now Mm -hmm. on the possibility of a mugshot? I am a little disappointed. uh, This is very conventional wisdom, but disappointed that we're going to get the weakest case first. I think it's set up for, we've been set up for a very annoying week here with a lot of people talking about the ticky-tacky charges of the porn star. Mm -hmm. It's one that can be easily dismissed and kind of laughed out when, of course, the incitement to insurrection, the telling the Secretary of State of Georgia to find votes. Like, there's a much more significant indictments, I think, to come. And to start out with this one is not my favorite. It's a downer. And if indicted alone with just this charge, it's only a um, misdemeanor. It's not even a felony. It has to be coupled with other charges. So we don't know right now if it'll be a felony. It might just be a misdemeanor. Let's set all that aside for a second and just kind of appreciate for a moment, just like the mugshot. <laughs> just like when you think about the mugshot, does that at least bring you a little joy? Can you separate your punditry from the mugshot joy or no? I think because this guy just turns everything around, it's going to be a full tooth smile. I was, it is, with the thumbs up. And with the thumbs up, and people are going to get T-shirts made. MAGA's going to get T-shirts <laughs> made. There are going to be mugs. You know, everybody's going to have the hat of that mug shot. And if it's a perp walk, his hands will probably be in handcuffs, but he'll find a way to thumbs up. And also, I heard that they probably, in New York State, they don't have to release the mug shot. I heard that. And he would love, he wants a perp walk, from what I understand. I don't know where I heard it, skimming the interwebs. This is why gays and lesbians like cats and dogs, just all this all this practicality, mm-hmm. you know, the downer vision. Like, I'm just, can we just have our joy? We just want to celebrate. Yeah. We just want a kiki over here, okay? I want to get an arrest and do a kiki. You guys can't, can't let me have that? What's a kiki? Like a little party. Even I knew that one. Did you? <laughs> they covered that song on Glee. It was Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's right. I only watched my scenes. That's good. Sebastian (laughs) says the law allows police to withhold mugshots, but it does not mandate that they kept private. So I I imagine this one will leak. Anyway, I wanted to kiki. You guys are taking me Mm -hmm. down. Sarah, do you have other political topics that are maybe more joyful or more... You know, any burning questions? Yeah, so what do you make of Trump versus DeSantis? So there's a big debate about whether or not DeSantis is more dangerous than Trump. I have very strong feelings on this question. What do you think? Oh, I wish I could remember what you said, but you'll tell me soon, I'm sure. (laughs) I think he's a maniac, DeSantis. Well, they both are, but I think he's a little scarier, but— I don't think DeSantis can win a general election. I think he's so unpleasant and so robotic. Remember when uh, at the debate, uh, the guy who was running against him? Chris. Yeah, where he said, can you pledge that you uh, won't run for president and you'll, you'll play out your term? It was almost like does not compute. And he went on complete pause like this. <laughs> so I don't think the guy's spontaneous. He's going to get a lot of money. And he's already probably getting a lot of money. But I don't think he's got it. I think he's just too much of a maniac. But you think he's more dangerous than Trump? In the office? Yeah. With Trump, I'm scared to death because he just is a freaking sociopath and, and a, um, a, a you know malignant narcissist. But I don't know that DeSantis isn't as well. So both of them scare the F out of me. I am one who believes that a second term of Trump would be uh, such a catastrophic sort of event for democracy, because imagine what it says about us as a country, Mm -hmm. that we have reelected somebody democratically who tried to overturn the democratic process the last time. 
it's horrible what it says about mm. us. He would try to undo the the sort of Western world order. He would. And I think that in the midst of this conflict in Europe, that's about as dangerous as you can get. Mm-hmm. He's made it very clear retribution is his number one thing. You know, the first time he kind of oh, learned how to use the levers. Yeah, you convinced me. Okay, great. <laughs> this is, oh, that's all I wanted. Yeah. That's all I, that's all I wanted. Yeah. We, we've won you over. Okay, one. I want to move off uh, old Donald. Do you have any other? Do you have any any other Donald Trump one-liners or Ron DeSantis? Anything you want to get off your chest before we start talking about drag queens? Yeah, you know how you're always looking. <laughs> how you're always looking for hope with DeSantis. You know he was a JAG. I think for the Navy is the JAG. So he was a lawyer for the Navy, and he was quoted as saying. You know he's a he's a typical Republican from your your era uh, back before it was destroyed that he he thinks we have to shore up Ukraine and NATO so hopefully that guy will come back and hopefully the people who are giving him all of this money those people that were they all gathered a few weekends ago and did not invite Trump hopefully there is a consensus within them for DeSantis that he's not going to be the maniac. Jane Lynch is hoping for the Paul Ryan DeSantis to come back, that he's buried deep inside there somewhere. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, all he wants to do is hurt people on Medicaid. He doesn't actually want to, yeah. like, you right. know, that's something we can deal with, you know, just normal problem. Mm-hmm. Tim, I know you want to move to it, but I just have to ask, Jane, because you actually gave, like, an answer before that was, like, a, you knew the legal what would happen legally with Trump? Why do you know so much about politics? You know, you've, you've thrown out a bunch of things that I would say much higher level. Is it from all the bulwark content you consume? Or like, why yes. are your takes, why do you know so much about politics? Are you interested in politics? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, especially, you know, when Obama was president, I relaxed. I wasn't in on the specifics of what he was doing, but he's a good guy. And I did not like W, although I would take him right now over either of those other two Republicans who are probably running. Yeah, I I, I listen to the Bulwark a lot. I listen to you guys. I listen to Charlie Sykes every day. You did say on your Willie Geist interview that uh, you are off Twitter. And and I assume that Twitter was also a place where you're gaining a lot of this knowledge. But I, I, yeah, I do have to say, I went to your feed. Adam, a lot of people claim to be off Twitter. So far, two of our first three guests on this show, Adam Brody also claimed to be off Twitter. And then JVL, one of the co-hosts, claims to be off Twitter. And I guess I would rank you as you and JVL, then Adam, is the biggest liars about that. Because you have the most tweets, I think, out of the three. <laughs> and Adam replied to my DM within like eight look, minutes. Look what I tweet about. I tweet about dogs. I looked at the feed. <laughs> I, mean, I write there about some dogs. dogs on there, but there was some politics. <laughs> yeah. There was some Tom Nichols there's, quote there's tweets. There's a lot of feel good. Um, it, it does seem like you're still on Twitter to me. Indeed. Is that, what, how many hours a day would you say you're spending on Twitter? No more than an hour, for sure. I, I'm not on more than an hour. We're going to put a timer on that. Um, no, I don't even have the app anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. don't have the app. You have to go <laughs> into the, the browser. Times. Check the times. You have to go into the browser. Is, so is it about yeah, Elon or is it about your personal mental health that you're trying to cut back? My personal mental health and this revelation, I think, about um, tribalism and how it becomes like cultism. And you, if you don't line up with it, like if I tweeted everything I thought. That'd be a hot feed. I, I'd be canceled. You know, if I, 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 I don't know if, if that's I, true. I want to get to canceling on with you in sure. a second. But before that, I want to talk about the... I want to talk about some gay stuff um, since, sure. you know, we're gay. Um, everyone here. Ah. You know, we, we talked a little bit about this with Dan Savage, and I'm just I'm interested in your take. Have you been surprised at the latest kind of backslide? I mean, you know, we all have lived lived through kind of right. periods where, 
you know, the gay issue was a lot more of a hot button into, you know, kind of there was this period that I think I, I naively went through, you know, thinking that kind of the arc of historic justice was bending towards fabulousness. And like, I didn't really have to worry about this. And like, we had this inexorable path towards gay, great stuff. And that feels like it's over. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, what are you feeling that or do you feel inoculated from that in Hollywood? Or like, what's your sense for, for this like recent backslide? I put the the whole anti-gay thing in the anti-woman, put them all into a a bucket, anti-woman stuff, the anti-choice stuff, the racism, the rise of anti-Semitism, all of that in one container. And I think it is a response to society has gone too far for some people. And when Trump came on the scene, it's their last gasp effort to bring back all of that horrible stuff and not move forward. And I do believe it's just a swing of the pendulum this way, and we're going to swing this way into a golden era. And I don't even know that it's hope. I just know this. I think this is kind of the the arc. Is like we start going this way, and then we fall back just a little bit. We retrograde, and then we shoot off into the stratosphere of, of beauty and love and uh, sisterhood and brotherhood and theyhood. How far away are we from that? <laughs> I think it's pretty close. I do. I think it's pretty. I think I, I would say a couple of years. I think this election coming up, um, just like the midterms, surprised us. Remember that? These last midterms, we really thought it was going to be this red wave, where we were afraid of it. I forget what you guys said, but I look at astrology and I <laughs> I, I, want, I go to a tarot card reader on a, a political tarot card reader, and she was right about all this. I don't go to her. I watch this feed. But anyway, uh, I do tend to uh, agree. Can we get her? <laughs> yeah, you should. She's in Australia. You should be interviewing her at the same time. She knows more about the political situation here, and she operates out of her, her little bedroom in Australia, and she's really, I kind of stumbled upon her, but um, she, she's she's great. But I, I do think that, uh, I think we're going it, to, it's like a couple years. I think this election will surprise us the way the midterms surprised us. I don't know. I worry about that. I, I I think that there is, particularly with regards to this, like the drag thing is really just kind of this cover for an attack on trans folks and gender ideology. And I do worry, and mm-hmm. I do see that, you know, I, maybe it's my fault for spending too much time with the gays against groomers at CPAC, but I worry about the younger generation, like mm-hmm. finding that fissure, you know, and, and having that be a real threat in for for a while now, but I don't know. You, you don't. You think that that's really just part of the broader bucket, or what's your what's your feeling on that? I think that's in the bucket too. But uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's awful, and you're among those people. I guess so. What you have to remember, you know, what you have to remember, meaning that you went to CPAC, but yeah. not in your life. But I think what you have to remember is it really is a relatively small amount of people. They just had a guy in the presidency who, you know, empowered them. It told that all these deep, awful beliefs that people had about themselves and about society and how it's done them wrong has now been unleashed. And then the QAnon stuff, and they have a mystery to solve. Tom Nichols says, don't expect these people to go back to their, you know, to their little houses in front of their their big screen TVs and and watch a reality TV anywhere. They're not going to do that. They're solving freaking mysteries. You know, they're they're um they're engaged in a way. You can see it with these Trump DeSantis attacks, don't you feel that way, Sarah? Like, like the Trumpers were bored for a little while, and now they like get to go after DeSantis again. And like DeSantis is getting you know all the onslaught that we had to deal with for the last seven years, and all the DeSantis fans are like, oh no. <laughs> 
they're being unfair to me. They're saying they're saying that our guy might be a gay pedophile. It's like, welcome to the club. Dude, you tweeted yesterday exactly what I had just said out loud to my team. I was like, you know, if the stakes weren't so high and if things weren't so potentially bleak, I would just be sitting here being like, let them fight. This is the best. These are just terrible people ripping on each other, and that's great. Except the problem is is that it's actually catastrophic for our country. So, But the people are bored. This is a good insight, right? Like the people, the, the core MAGA people, this is filling a hole in them. Right, and that they want the rush of this, right? They're solving the mystery with QAnon. They're attacking these people. They're getting, you know, they're 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 trolling. You can you can sense it. Like I punish myself. Yeah, they're alive. They have purpose. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move off. Of, well, we're still going to have politics adjacent stuff, but let's go into Hollywood stuff. Unless Sarah, do you have one other thing? Did you? No, I just want to talk about lesbian stuff. It's the whole reason <laughs> I'm here, dying to do it. Yeah, okay. Let's, yeah, well, yeah. This is all. We're going to do lesbians. We're going to do Hollywood. We're going to do cancel culture. We're putting that all in one big bowl of gumbo. And and you know, go ahead, go first, Sarah. Take it. Lesbian Hollywood. Gumbo. I'm very interested. Like, what is your coming out story? Give us your origin sure. story. I Tim had in the notes that you don't have a coming out story. Yeah. I mean, I can make one up right now. I could put, pull some facts together and make it a story. I didn't come out professionally. You know, I didn't have like a, didn't call a news conference or anything. A yep, I'm gay cover moment. Right, right, right. Exactly. I, I, and also, I'm a character actor. It's a different Deal. You know, and it's the people like Melissa Etheridge and Katie Lang and um, Ellen DeGeneres, the people who are kind of in big, you know, big jobs and uh, kind of by themselves solo artists. Wait, so you weren't at a secret meeting with them at the DNC kind of yes. discussing the lesbian strategy? I thought yes. that's, what, that's my Aaron Sorkin fantasy, that all of you guys <laughs> were all together plotting this. No? No, didn't happen. Nope. But they, they were the ones who kind of took, took one for the team, if you will, and made it just really easy for me, you know. But just in terms of, like, my life, I was closeted until um, about 25 to the world. I, and I started having girlfriends around about 25, 26, and I told my parents at around 31. And I, I was afraid of that. I thought that I would lose them, and I didn't at all. Uh, it was They were great. But I think if I had told them when I was 18, it would have been a different story because would have been so out of context. It would have been like, what? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't have to deal with that. But there was never like an article in the, you know, when around Best in Show, you yeah. never got asked about it by, no. you know, did Perez Hilton ever do anything? Nothing? There was never a... No. But wait, is it really true that there wasn't like a group of lesbians that you hung out? You, didn't you hang out with Melissa Etheridge? I really, this is my fantasy is that, because, you know, in D.C., yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, in D.C., there is a cabal of lesbians, like political lesbians. Right, and Hillary Rosen's one of them, right? She is, although, uh, now that you say it, she's not in my cabal. I've, I've had like, I've had, I've oh, had like okay. dinner with her one time. Generally speaking, okay. it's like the, maybe it's like, I actually, why isn't she more on Mike Ball now that you? Yeah, but but there's a there's a lot of like political lesbians that know each other, hang out, have drinks. Right. And there wasn't like that group there in L.A. coming up together. No, no, not at all, not at all. Huh. Well, I have a one friend who's a lesbian and she's married now, but we've been best friends for the longest time, Laura. But yeah, I just have a mix of people. Yeah, you're the most well-adjusted person I've ever listened to talk about this. Like I said, I'm a character actor, so who cares? You know? <laughs> no, no, who cares? no. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you don't have any trauma. Can you trauma dump on us? You have no, you have no trauma <laughs> from your mid twenties that you could share. I maybe make something up. Yeah, no, not at all. Not professionally, and you know the theater is teeming with the gays. So 
we now have the opposite, right? The changing kind of mores around this, like you want this is good, right? We want gay characters, right? I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know who knows. Maybe maybe is a little thumb on the right. scale for you for for the weakest link or something, right? Like we want gay, we want gays around. <laughs> you know, it's like good. Who knows? Uh, you know, as I failed to to pitch the book as a as you know to screen type folks, like the best thing you got going for you is that you're gay. Um, you know, we like gays, we like gay stories now, right? But like the inverse of that is that there are you know some you know, worries about overreach. Do you feel that way? I mean, like that, I guess it's just hard for those of us on the outside to, to grade this, right? Because you have all these bad faith people out there being like, I can't do homophobic jokes anymore or else I'm canceled. And then they're like selling out stadiums. It's like, I don't know, you seem to be doing okay to me. So what is your sense? Do you feel like there's creative stifling around some of these issues right now? Yeah. You do? I do. I do. I feel like we're all being, we have to be very, very careful right now. And again, I think it's just a, it's an overreaction. You know, even Party Down, we did Party Down 12 years ago, and there there's stuff that we did in Party Down we can't do now, where Kyle, uh, in fact, it's one of the uh, story points in the, in the first episode. In the last episode, he, you know, he's blonde hair and blue eyed, just like I am. And, and he says, our struggle, and kind of ignorantly sings this song about how being blonde-haired and blue-eyed is so hard and that they line us up and put us on trains. And, you know, it, 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 I guess, look, I'm looking at your faces. Um, but we could, do, look, I'm all red now because I'm like, don't cancel me. <laughs> we did it 12 years ago and it was hilarious. And then as my character, I go, Kyle, stop, stop. And I whisper in his ear and he says, the hollow what? The Holocaust. He doesn't know what it is. This is just a dumb blonde joke. This is not a Holocaust yeah. joke. This is a dumb blonde joke. I don't. I wouldn't cancel you for this. But I did just when I had COVID. I watched all first. I binge watched the first two seasons of Party Down. Oh, did you? Uh, and I was struck by how many gay jokes there were. And n- nobody is gay in the cast. And and we're like you. The what's I forget the guy's name who's like mad all the time. He's in um, Roman. Yeah, yeah. Roman. Yeah, Roman. Yeah, yeah. Roman. He, everything's gay. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, just, right. It, yeah, and yeah. It, and it felt. I actually. I remember when I was watching it. I was. I went and checked the date, and I was like, oh, 2009. That doesn't feel so long ago. Yeah. But I guess it's long enough ago that we couldn't do it now. Yeah, or you just don't hear people talk like that. That was Martin Starr, by the way. But that's a characteristic of Martin and Kyle's relationship. They're like 10-year-old brothers. They would hit each, they punch each other in their arm. You say, you're so gay. I mean, they were like little kids. And that's what was funny about it. And the thing is, I still think it's funny. I was not offended. I was. I felt like slightly anachronistic already. Mm-hmm. When Tim was doing the notes, he like didn't even, he was including uh, all kinds of things that you've done. Didn't mention your absolute best performance, though, which is obviously in the L word. The Frosted Flakes commercial? No, no. The L word <laughs> where she played Joyce Wishnia, the yeah. like tough lawyer. Wait, you were in the L word? Yeah, I, I wore men's suits. Oh, really? I wore brogues. I smoked a pipe. Wow. I was a lawyer. Uh, did you not see the part where in the notes I said in all caps, Sarah gets a lot of license here. Tim cannot bring up the L word before I do. I get to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. When me and Sarah met, she would she would have L word parties. This like then this was like where the lesbians would get together and I would come over and this was back when I was you know still a young troublemaker and I would like smoke cigarettes and make fun of the lesbians not even pay attention to the show it's just it's hard for me to to get me to care about you know the interior lives of all these women I needed a few penises in the show to like to yeah get. none and there were there none. none and it was the best they started out with one guy yeah and that so was I a, literally don't even remember you being in it I was a guest star. 
until she put it down. I was like, I was like, do you want to talk about this? Because it's like a lesbian thing to talk about, or was she actually in the show? <laughs> but you guessed it with Sybil Shepherd, right? You guys got to make out at one point. Yes. You were just very formative for me in a lot of ways. Like I get that you're like you didn't come out in this way, oh, but sure, like sure. I watched you in that show, which was extremely important to me. Like it and Analyzing it as a television show is not a way that I would, it's not worth it to me to do it that way because the show is kind of stupid, but it was the first thing that I had that wasn't mm-hmm. like fried green tomatoes or some other thing where I'm trying to like interpret the lesbian content or like, like it just was, yeah. you, they built a world of lesbians and they let you live in it and it yeah. reflected your world not very imperfectly back to you in ways where you have a group of friends and like that's what was happening, you know, that was I mean, when that show began airing, I was like a senior in college. To have that was just such a gift yeah. to me. And so, you know, Tim may never have seen it, but Joyce Wishnia, you as like the high-powered lawyer. Because here's the thing. I like yesterday went down the rabbit hole watching some of your old scenes on it. And you were talking about it in a context of back then, there was no legal protection for gay families, right? right? Like the lawyer that you were was very relevant to what we were about to experience of having to set up legal structures because we didn't have marriage yet. Right. There's something that I think about your career that's so cool. I I guess there's a rather kind of, you tell me, but quasi-late developing, like, ascendance. So I was trying to figure out what was the origin for that. It was this, the Christopher Guest, I guess, did these commercials, right? Before he did, you know, all of his various mockumentaries, like Best in Show. He had done Waiting for Guffman. When I met him. Oh, he had done so that, that had been done, and um, that would have been about 97, and then I, and he directs commercials. He, I don't think he does it anymore, but he, almost any commercial you saw on television where you had an actual genuine laugh, he directed okay. it. We have one of them, I think. Sebastian, do we have it? Hi, I'm Steve. This is Kathy. Oh, and we just love Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. We come here every day, you know, just hoping he'll make an appearance of some sort. Of, uh, excuse me. Could you send out Tony when you see him? Tony who? Oh, come on. <laughs> Frosted Flakes are about so much more than just great taste. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that, and then there's Tony, you know. Mm-hmm. Then there's uh, the frosting, and then there's Tony. All right, okay. take a picture. Okay, got it. Okay, he looks picture. different. Um, I think, I think that's a woman. You're right. Yeah. They're good. We don't get shit like that these days, okay? You say we can't do the, you know, it's not the woke's fault. It's our creative failures. Um, now, that is yep. some good stuff. Just the deadpan, Christopher Guest was like, yes, I need that woman. I need her. It's more of the behaving and not pushing for the joke. Like, I didn't have much to say in that at all. But, you know, in, in my meeting with him, we did more improvisation. And he doesn't care about jokes. He cares about human behavior and the contradictions within that that make people funny like waiting for guffman these this small town group of actors who on some level think that they might go to broadway with this little show with this little review of theirs it's that kind of the ambition and the best in show the ambition of these you know these dog people it's like a microcosm of the bigger world and it's got its own um hierarchy and it's got a lot of backbiting and people uh, creating alliances and all about you know an obsession with your dog so he loves that so it's not so much about jokes as it is about People behaving in either like purely innocent ways or in self-aggrandizing ways, something that's honest and pure about human behavior. That's what, what he likes. And that's what I like, too. That's 
one of my favorite things in the world. And that's a, one of my favorite things when I'm watching people like on the news, you know, trying to pull something off about who they think they are. And and it's kind of endearing. And, and sometimes it's like, like with Trump, you're just like, oh, my God, what's going on in his brain to think that that's working? And it obviously does work with some people. You just got in Sarah's head right there. Did you notice Sarah took a step back? She's like, oh, man, I wonder what people <laughs> think I'm trying to look like. We, we don't, none of us, we're all, we don't know what we're doing. We're just out there on TV just gabbing, you know? I've got no clue. You, and, and as well, you should. I wouldn't be thinking about that. I think you kind of, you meet on a, a, a particular level. And, you know, the stuff that makes him laugh turns out makes me laugh, too. And I think that, like he said, he can tell within, like, three seconds if someone can do this. Because it's like kind of a wavelength thing. And he doesn't give anything, like in a conversation. I don't know if you've ever seen him, like, interview. Oh, he doesn't even interview because this is how he interviews. He doesn't give anything. But so you end up overgiving. And so when you over, when you overgive, you end up revealing so much about yourself. So it, it's always really fun to see somebody try to like small talk with him. And, and they end up just, everybody walks away kind of in shock, like, what just happened? What just happened? Because he doesn't give anything. Can we talk about Glee for just a second? Because that was also formative sure. for me. Tim is, like, bad about the musical stuff. He's just not as into it. I'm going to take your gay card. Please, take it. I love Glee, though, but I'm going to tell you why in a second. Before we get to the Glee substance of it, it had to be, like, this moment for you. Like, was that weird, you know, for you to, like, immediately be mm-hmm. so recognizable? And obviously, you've been in the business for all your commercials, you're in Best in Show, there's this, these cult followings, right? So it's not as if you didn't have any sort of, right. you know, familiarity with it. But, like, the scale had to be, uh, you know, you're a mm-hmm. meme now. You know, have you, have you, spent, yes, have you spent any time I've seen them. With, uh, with all the various memes? Yeah. I mean, I, like, did you know that immediately? Did you feel that it was going to happen? Yeah. Like, when you embodied the character, like, when the first show first came on? Like, what was that all that experience like? When we were shooting the pilot, we did a Don't Stop Believing, and it was the kids did it themselves. No one directed them, I mean, the, within the context of the show. And they wore, like, red T-shirts, and that, that was their costumes, and they sang Don't Stop Believing. And as Sue Sylvester, I'm up in a box above them, at, and they're rehearsing on the theater, and I'm watching this. And you can see in my eyes, it's like, it's on. I'm going to destroy that Glee Club. But I was so moved by how pure it was and how relationships were were being formed while they were performing this song that was so so much about yearning and and the glee club was probably going to be destroyed and they were like doing their best to hold on to it and you know performing their hearts out and i thought oh my god this is going to be a hit this has got it and it was it was a big hit but in in terms of for me like the fame thing you know i was 50 years old so to say it was just another job would be an understatement, but it was fun. We definitely were, you know, occupying a rarefied air. Did people, like, ask you to yell at them at the grocery store, though? I mean, you know, like... <laughs> Every once in a while. <laughs> Every once in a while, someone would want me to yell at them, and and, uh, and I couldn't do that. Because Ian wasn't with me giving me the lines. Those lines. <laughs> yeah, I know. And they went on and on, didn't they? Can I get you a diaper for that butt chin? Like, there are things that you said on that show that I still say to people, and get the reference or not, because they're so good. Yeah, they are. They really are. I have one heavy question about the character, kind of heavy, I guess. But like comedy, I assume, if you're anything like me, like being funny is a crutch, mm-hmm. right? It's like an sure. avoidance tool at times. Sure. So I think it's a pretty common observation. 
And so in a show like Glee, I think the thing that made it so powerful is like that it wasn't like it's cloying, right? Earnest. Right. It's so earnest. Right. right. Glee is, you know, and that is the that is what's mm-hmm. lovable about it, right? And so, like, how did you think about that? Like contrast, right? That, that's what I was wondering. Like being an actor, going in with your character Sue, of being like, okay, I'm a little bit of comedic relief here, mm-hmm. right, in this very earnest thing, but I don't want to undermine it, right? I don't right. want to un- like they had these deep messages and and mm-hmm. like this emotional connection. Did you think about that at all? Well, not heavily. I mean, it, it was kind of clear to me that my character was there to keep the show from becoming cloying and becoming too ugh, saccharine. Right. She would say what perhaps the audience is thinking. You know, like how sentimental they were, and it's not a horrible to um, no loving musical theater doesn't make you gay; it just makes you awful. You know that kind of a thing. Uh, that was like so mean, and so concur. Yes, so I wasn't playing Hannibal Lecter. Okay, so I was playing someone who was kind of narrating her own superhero movie as she moved through the halls. And sometimes they did give me a voiceover to look at her move like a gazelle. <laughs> sometimes I would have like a, you know, a National Geographic inner monologue going. So I think that's what kept it from being, you know, too mean is that she said the most outrageous things. A teacher once said to me, oh my God, you say the things that I wish I could say to kids that I would be fired for. The fact is you've had since Glee, like, you have gone on to do, like, oh, every time you pop up, it's still, like, amazing. Like, and it's always the most fun part of any show. Like, Any Murders in the Building, uh, which is, like, a super fun show. When you popped up, it was, like, the greatest thing uh, just to have you there. And it was, like, it's always, like, what an absurd, it's an absurd premise. And it was also, it was another character where, like, you're pretty vicious. Which, yeah. I don't know why that's when you're at your best, because <laughs> one of the things I noticed about you as I was going through some things is how kind you are about everybody you work with. Like I was looking up Jennifer Coolidge because I remembered you guys were the lesbian Mm -hmm. couple. And I was like, she's having this awesome thing right now. And you're all over the place saying great things about her and being so excited for her. I also noted that she was your fictional roommate on Party Down, even though you guys didn't have scenes together. She like comes (laughs) in the show like when you leave because you're getting famous uh, on Glee, you know. So you're just a nice person, it seems like. Are you a nice person? Is that true? <laughs> I, I am a nice person, and and then it takes one to know one. <laughs> do you um, do you have any? Okay, we need to get to our rapid fire questions, but the Jennifer Coolidge thing you brought up. So, have yeah. you, do you? Are you like? Would you watch the White Lotus? Like, do you have no. any Jennifer Coolidge memories for us? Oh, I do. Yeah, give us a favorite one. Sure. So you know, we we were doing Best in Show, and for us, it was the first time doing a Christopher Guest movie, and we were both you know really nervous. And it, we did it in Vancouver, and we were staying at this hotel. We were all at the same hotel, but there were. We didn't work every day, so um, we we became pretty good friends, and we would walk through Stanley Park every day. And for some reason, this only happens to Jennifer Coolidge, on her television, she got the porno channel for free. And so she said, she said, I just have it on all the time. And so as we're walking, she's talking about the different scenarios of these sexual scenes, these porno scenes. And like if we walk by a bench, she goes, so she's got one leg on the bench. And she's got, she's like narrating. And we're just falling apart. It was just so so much fun. And also, if you're going to hang out with Jennifer Coolidge, you also kind of have to be her caretaker. She, she'll she leave her wallet. She didn't bring a coat. She didn't I identify strongly with this. So whereas you are not really Sue Sylvester, Jennifer Coolidge is kind of Jennifer Coolidge's character. (laughs) She is kind of, of, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that she always has a brow furrowed, I remember. And 
she's really smart. She's, but she's, she does that a lot. She goes, so, and she's putting these concepts together and coming up with a conclusion. It mostly had to do with why people do what they do. She was very interested in, in um, psych, people's psychology. And, and she'd literally just go like that, trying to figure out what that was. I love her. I, she was one of the most fun companions a, a person could ask for. All right, we're moving into rapid fire. We've kept you too long. I'm so grateful. This has been so wonderful. I, I told, when it I first has. told Sarah that you were a bulwark watcher, uh, just look at Sarah Beam right now. I mean, uh, Sarah couldn't have been happier. It was hard for me. I wanted to keep this from her, to be honest, to just like a little bit of, you know, uh, not punishment's the wrong word, maybe leverage. But um, I also am grateful and, and adore you. But this has been so, so happy we've been able to do it. Um, as is uh, our want, we're going to ask you some awkward rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? I am. Go. Uh, <laughs> you, you said Sue channeled your own internal seething rage at times. You channeled your own internal seething rage at Sue. Who are you enraged at? right now and give us give us like 30 seconds of hate just like of somebody that you're enraged at inside kevin mccarthy kevin mccarthy great choice yep mike pence oh the cowardice jim jordan marjorie taylor green do i keep going on bobert grandma bobert at 36 years old nothing wrong with having babies yeah yeah, it's just <laughs> guns. Having the bait, having the I'm a natalist over here, but having the babies <laughs> here with guns. Right. That uh, counters my natalism. Um, mm-hmm. The guns and the babies. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, uh, number two, I want you to rank the top four Never Trump pundits in order from one to four. Rank us. Okay. Tim and Sarah. Number one. Sarah's number one. <laughs> JBL. <laughs> Um, okay. uh, Who's number four? Um, this is why I made it the top four. You made I, wanted, top four? I didn't want to fail you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You need a fourth. Um, uh, Rick Wilson. Tom Nichols left off the list. Noted. Noted. Tom Nichols left off. Thank God. No, well, I don't think of him as he's not like a political guy. He's a, he used to work at the Naval College, right? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Okay, so we're not going to count him. Yeah, we're not going to count. He's in a he's in a number one in a category of his own. Oh wow! Okay, mm-hmm. he would be number one above us. So man, that knocks Rick Wilson off. Tough I break, agree Rick. with him so hard. He'll like say something, and I'll go. Have you flown yeah. to Rhode Island to have like clams with him or anything? I mean, it, <laughs> every once in a while we DM. Yeah, I, this is DM more this with is me. A much. I mean, I thought I was a, when Adam Brody's on. I'm talking about Seth Cohen getting all for Clemp over here, but you and you and Tom Nichols makes me think maybe gender is a sexuality is a spectrum. I don't know. We got a little something going on, and apparently it's fine with his wife. So. Is it the, like, curmudgeon thing that yes. he's going on? Like, the kids it, get off my lawn? And, exactly. Yeah. But he's exactly my age, too. But, yeah, I, that's mm. what I said when we were going back and forth in the beginning. I said, curmudgeon. That's what you are. Curmudgeon. I love it. I want your um, favorite and least favorite Glee song and dance routine. Okay. Something that you think back on that you were involved in, something that really you were like that Man, I was involved I, in. Yeah, I nailed this yeah. one, and one that was like, ugh. Oh, there was one. Oh God, sing it loud, sing to the something. We're all wearing plaid, and I wore a plaid. None of us knew the words, and the camera would be on us. And sing we, it to the red. yeah, that's it. Sing it to the yeah, and none of us knew the words, so we were all going. And so when the camera came on you, we would go. So no one could see our mouths move. Oh, that was that was the worst. Do you have a favorite? 
favorite. Uh, oh, the Madonna uh, Vogue. Oh, yeah. Strike you were pose. so good in that oh, one. thank you. So I worked good. so hard on that, Sarah. I can't oh. tell you how hard I had to work on that because I'm not a dancer. And I had to do these. I, I, it looked like I was doing a hoedown, <laughs> but they, they kind of refined it for me. But it was great. It was so We did that. We play it for Toulouse. Oh, really? We're getting Toulouse to learn the Vogue through your version. Oh, well, there you go. You know, manageable. That's good. I have like a million of these, but like the episode that you did with Carol Burnett, but where she plays your mom and you marry yourself, it it was saved for the fact that it was you and Carol Burnett, like on the screen, but like (laughs) that was a dumb premise. That was like (laughs) that. It was. But it was kind of funny how I gave vows to you myself and I actually moved back and forth. And didn't you guys sing yeah, Why Oh Why funny. Did I Ever Leave Ohio together? Leave Ohio, oh, we did. Oh, so good. We did. And it's so perfect, so wasn't perfect. it? Sarah, do you have any favorites you want to share before we get through the rapid fire with uh, with Jane? Do you, do you have any other <laughs> any other memories you'd like to share with the group? I'm sorry, but I do, uh, which is just, and this is, <laughs> yeah. so another person you've been very charitable about is Leah Michelle. I have no idea, like, what the deal is, mm-hmm. but I will tell you that Leah Michelle, that first season, when she sings Don't Rain on My Parade and she comes out for the finale, oh. and I understand that you thought that the young woman who was before Leah Michelle in, in Funny Girl was very good, but yeah. I used to play that for myself to, like, Make myself happy. Like, to my happy place was Did when she you? would, when she opens the curtain and she said, I don't think, I'm sorry, I think Leah Michelle's version of Don't Rain on My Parade that she does in Glee is better than anyone else. Than Barbara? Than, yeah. Better than Barbara. Yeah. I went and rewatched yeah. Barbara just to be sure mm-hmm. that I thought it, but I do. Yeah, she's a powerhouse. She's really got it going on. That's yeah, a she, lot of talent. Does. Yeah. It's a lot of talent. I'm seeing Frosted Flakes Jane in her response to that. She's like, Interesting take. Okay, <laughs> no, interesting take. I, I, I'm not going to undermine Leah. It was really good. No, I mean, not Barbara level, right, but pretty I didn't good. See, I didn't. I don't. Didn't see that one, but I saw her do it at an event. But yeah, I and you know, I love the movie. But I know Leah's a real powerhouse. Your worst one was it was uh, the song was "Sing" by My Chemical Romance, which is an awful band. Right, so right, that's right. a bad pick. Thank yeah. you, Sebastian, for the fact check. Okay, uh, this is I think our final one. Unless <laughs> I have a final one. Unless Sarah, do you have one more rapid fire you want to give off before we let her go? No, go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, my last one is Sue Sylvester. Who is she voting for in the twenty twenty four Republican primary? Do you think? Oh. Who is Sue Vestal? I want you to well, channel her mindset here. Do you think she's yeah. with yeah, Trump? Yeah, let me channel her mindset. I don't think she wants the world to fall apart. Hmm. Uh, she Well, she's not going to vote for Trump. She's not going to vote for DeSantis. She sees right through him, and she could crush him with, with eye contact. Mike Pompeo? No, 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 no. Mike Pompeo, maybe. Well, she, oh, this is, you know, <laughs> I created her, so I get to say... If it's Biden, she'll vote for whoever the Democrat is. The redemption story of Sue Sylvester. She's a never-Trumper, turns out. Sue Sylvester. Wow. Oh, she's, an, she's totally a never-Trumper. She is a Romney-Biden voter. <laughs> Who, if she could be in one of Sarah's focus groups, a classic <laughs> bulwark. Do you think that Biden should be? I know you want to let me go, but do you think Biden should be? the nominee and do you think he will be? I think he will be the nominee. I don't think that they can and and I think it's a I think it's a real roll of the dice and it is not because I don't have infinite respect for the role that Biden has played in saving uh, our democracy yeah. and I think that he was the only one who could have defeated Trump in that cycle. Kamala is a real liability right now with voters and I think the stakes are really really high. Uh, but the the time to tap out 
like we're getting past it. Do you have any more rapid fire for us, Jane? <laughs> <laughs> like, no. We're ready. I'm ready. We're, I, we're in the hot seat. Well, I go into my Sorkin-esque um, fantasies and, you know, I see for some reason Judge gets to run. I like him. I, I think he's he is the next generation and he's a brilliant guy and... I would love to see him as president of the United States. And not just because he's gay. He's good. Well, it doesn't hurt. This is the thing. There was all this, oh, the Democrats have no bench. It's like now they have a great bench, but it would be very Gretchen challenging. Gretchen Whitmer? Yeah, 28. Yeah, yeah. yeah Gretchen yeah. and, uh, you know, Warnock and Wes Moore and Josh Shapiro is doing Josh a great Shapiro job. Jared too. Polis, really my good. governor, as, as does, probably doesn't have the charisma. But I, I have a lot of governors who are doing a really good job in big states. Yeah. Um, there are some governors who are doing not as good of a job in big states. Unfortunately, that's just, I think that's just where we're stuck. So, such is life. Okay, one more okay, question. Yep. What about the uh, GOP? It's future, immediate future, and then maybe some speculation. Okay, I'm going to go first because I'm going to be dark, and maybe Sarah can give us just a list a little silver of hope. No, 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 not you. Don't even have a sliver anymore, Sarah. Okay, ask. we'll see. I think that the pivot. Every conservative party globally is like a nationalist culture conservative party. The U. Our us and the Brits were like an outlier, right? right? Like oh, this yeah. sort of classically liberal, free market and free people, right wing party. Like everywhere else in the world, it's Le Pen, it's Modi, it's Bolsonaro, right? Like it's Trumps, it's Trumps everywhere. And so I just don't know why we're so special and different from that. And I think that Reagan and a lot of things that happened in the Cold War and certain things about the American libertarian spirit, like helped like our conservative party be a little bit more small liberal, uh, but I just think that it's past. And that I, and if you go look at the younger, the types of people, if you're a young person right now, that's like, I want to be a Republican. You're not a classically liberal, live and let live, free markets no. and free me- people person. You're like a fuck the libs person, right? That's what's drawing you to the party. Yeah. And so that's self-selecting. And the people that liked that are self-selecting out. You know, those of us, the compassionate conservative types are self-selecting out. We interviewed Colin Allred on the show last week. And they're like, Colin Allred's like, I got a lot of people who had W stickers on their SUVs supporting me now. And so I just think we have this natural churn that makes the party moving more towards this kind of nationalist party semi-permanently. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, So I agree with all of that. And listening to the voters has been, that has oriented me into where people are. I can't engage in Sorkin-esque fantasies because I listen to voters all the time and I hear what they want and what they want is nothing like the old GOP. And they right. say it. They'll say, I'm not going back. You know, they they talk about things in what I call BT language, which is like their candidates, Nikki Haley is a before Trump candidate, the before times, right? She And so they think she's establishment. She, and they may think she's perfectly nice, but she should not be the leader of the party. They want America first politicians. They want people who are going to own the libs, That's what they want, which is why my, my optimism, though, is that I do think we have been being sort of broadly successful in building a pro-democracy coalition that is a majority coalition. And um, to your point about the midterms and the thing about the Republican Party is through sustained electoral defeats, it will create a new incentive structure. And I don't know how to square that. Like, I don't know what happens when they keep losing. Like, don't they have to do something different? And that's my only way out. The only way I see, and the reason I do the work that I do right. is trying to defeat this party because I think you have to change those incentives. You have to make sure they keep losing. Jane Lynch, been so, it's been so, so nice. I'm so grateful for your support. Uh, grateful that you blurbed my book. <laughs> grateful that you let Sarah come and be a part of this as well and that she managed to kind of keep it together a little bit during all this. 
And um, hopefully we can, you know, do something again next year before the election. This has been so fun. Thanks so much, James. Thank you so much. You bet. This has been a joy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.